Hello, this is Dennis Thomas from Things That Matter, where we speak about everything from faith to finance and all things in between. So I wanted to get started here and speak about an article that I've read several times. And when I say several, probably over 20 times. That's how much I love this article. But it's titled Choosing My Religion by J.P. Moreland. Now those of you who might not know who J.P. Moreland is, he is a Christian apologetic, a theologian, a philosopher. And he speaks about an example, actually a real-life example. He was on a college campus, and he's defending God's existence. And one of the students raises his hand and says, you know, I know sincere Muslims, I know sincere Buddhists, and they think their religion is true. And they think that the belief that they have is real. So I've come to the conclusion the best thing to do is to just believe everyone's religion is true and not judge anyone. And J.P. Moreland poses this question. Are there objective principles that one could look at to decide if one religion is different than others? And if we think about some of the words that are spoken in the Bible, Jesus Christ says that, he is the way, the truth, and the life. The only way to get to the Father is through me. So he's being very clear in his distinction that there's only one way, there's only one truth, and there's only one life. Which means that there aren't several ways to get to Jesus Christ. There's only one way. And that, that is through the belief in Jesus Christ. That is through being a Christian. And what he's saying is that all other options are not the same. And so what I want to do here is not to necessarily make that argument, but I do want to show you guys some objective principles that one could look at in choosing a religion. And the first thing I want to speak about are the facts about creation. Now, religion's concept of God it should harmonize with what we know about God from creation. Now, if you look at the first one, the beauty and order of the universe, we'll speak about that. The second one, the beginning and the existence of a finite universe. The third one, the existence of a finite mind. And the fourth one, objective moral law. So these are very tough topics here. There's a lot of meat inside these topics to speak about. And I want to address each one of them line by line, and move slowly. So if we look at the first one, beauty and order of the universe. Now the earth rotates counterclockwise on its axis around the sun. They call our planet the Goldilocks planet because everything is just right for complex life to exist like ours. And you guys might also know this too. This is called the anthropic argument. And what that argument says is that the world is uniquely designed for life to exist. Now, anthropic is relating to human beings or their existence. So we know here how the earth is shaped, how the earth is set up, everything is properly and specifically made for life to exist. If we move the earth 5% closer to the sun, all water would evaporate. If we move the earth 20% further from the sun, 
water would freeze. I mean, do you guys imagine this? Think about the intricacies, the specificity that's needed for complex life like ours to exist. Is this an accident here? And this is that order of the universe that we pretty much all take for granted. My sister and I are speaking the other day, and we're speaking about why seasons exist. And what we know here is that the earth rotates on its axis, but it's tilted at a certain degree, 23.5 degrees, which gives us the four seasons that we have. When we think about some of the things that exist in the order that exists, we are surely taking a lot of things for granted. But as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus Christ, as a believer in something bigger, we do not think that this was an accident by any means. Now, speaking about water, when I think about the ocean, okay, I'm listening to a podcast called How Stuff Works. You guys should listen to that podcast. It's very interesting. They also have a website. The ocean takes up 71% of the Earth's space, yet 95% of the ocean is completely unexplored. We know when we go to the beach and we see those waves crashing, we have nothing to do with the pace of those waves. We're pretty much in awe watching and enjoying the moment. But at the same time, when we see events like tsunamis, for example, those are scary events. And we know that, again, there's not much we could do to control those situations. We think about Job 38, one of my favorite chapters in Job, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, speaks about God's control over it. He's speaking to Job, right? And he, he, t and he tells Job, he says to him, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined his measurements? Surely you know. To what were his foundations fastened? Or who stretched the line upon it? When the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. Or who shut in the sea with doors when it burst forth and issued from its womb, when I made the cloudest garments and thick darkness as swaddling bands? When I fixed my limit for it and said, This far you may come, but no farther. Here your proud waves must stop. I love that part because God is speaking to Job and saying, <laughs> Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? When I told the oceans, you may come this far, but no farther. So he's stopping the oceans from coming any further. Here, your proud waves must stop. And think about this. The ocean takes up 71% of the Earth's space, yet 95% of the ocean is completely unexplored. If you look at the commentary for Job 38, it says what we know is nothing in comparison to what we do not know. Okay? This is very scary stuff in a way. How much order exists in this world that we barely know anything about. What we know is nothing in comparison to what we don't know. Think about that <laughs> a few times and you'll be where I'm at right now. <laughs> the second one, the beginning and existence of a finite universe. If we look at Genesis 1.1, it states in the beginning. Genesis 1.1 was written 1400 to 1440 BC. John 1.1 says in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So we're seeing several times in the Bible it being stated that there was a beginning. But during this time, again, the Bible, 
Genesis being written between 1400 to 1440 BC, many people thought that the earth was eternal. Edwin Hubble, you guys might have heard of him, right? Scientists, early 1900s, discovered that the earth had a beginning. And he did this with his expanding universe theory. And scientists confirmed this. So to this day, and since then, scientists do agree that there was a beginning. But the light goes off, right? God, Jesus is speaking about this in 1400 to 1440 BC, that there was a beginning. And we're finding these things out now. Again, guys, what we know is nothing in comparison to what we don't know. The second law of thermodynamics, I'm running a science class here right now, right? The earth is running out of usable energy. Let's think also about the law of causality. Every limited thing is caused by something other than itself. And if the universe had a beginning, we understand that anything that has a beginning must have been caused by something else, and this cause was God. So again, we're saying that the Big Bang could have occurred, right? But would it be considered the odds on favorite that everything came from nothing? Not just some things, but everything. That life came from non-life? That objective morality came from evolution? That consciousness came from matter? We have to think about these things when we make these assessments. How far-fetched are those types of ideas in comparison to this theory that we have? Right? I wasn't there when all this happened, so we're trying to put the pieces together and come to a proper conclusion. So once again, we're speaking about objective principles that exist to allow us to choose a religion or guide us in choosing a religion. The first one we spoke about is the beauty and order of the universe. We went through the Earth's rotation counterclockwise. We're called the Goldilocks planet. We understand the intricacies and specificity of the Earth. If we're 5% closer to the sun, what difference that would make 20% further? The ocean, what we know is nothing in comparison to what we do not know. The second one we did was the beginning and existence of a finite universe. It wasn't always the thought that there was a beginning to our universe. A lot of people thought that the universe existed forever, but we know the law, second law of thermodynamics, the Earth is running out of usable energy. There had to have a beginning. Genesis speaks about it. Edwin Hubble had his expanding universe theory. We know the universe had a beginning. If it does have a beginning, it must have been caused by something else. Let's go to our third one, the existence of a finite mind. Now, I want you guys to think about something real quick, okay? I know you guys are great thinkers, like myself. That's why you're listening to this. But imagine your mom at the kitchen sink, and she's doing the dishes, okay? So think about that. Now, what color is her blouse? Now, you guys have this thought in your head about your mother at the kitchen sink, washing the dishes, and you're thinking about the color of her blouse. Now, where is your mom? Now, you might think she's at the kitchen sink. I thought we went over this. But I want to know, where is she located, right? Is she really at the kitchen sink? Because if I went to the kitchen sink, I might not see her. I think that she is in your mind. 
Now, guys, this experience is real, even though it has no physical existence. People can't see this by looking at your brain structure. If I took a scalpel and I opened up your brain, would I see your mom in there, in that blouse that you're thinking about? No, I would not. Why is that? We have first-person access to mental properties. Now, physical properties can be physically accessed. But these things, these thoughts are privately accessed. Consciousness, that's being aware of something within oneself. And it implies that we are not our bodies. So we may own our bodies, but we know that we are not our bodies. There is this inner person inside of us that we speak with, that we have conversations with, that we grew up with. I want you guys to think about this, okay? Because now we're touching on a topic, right? The existence of a finite mind. Evolution does a great job, naturalism does a great job of explaining physical things. But what about non-physical things like your mind? Again, if we opened up your brain with the scalpel, would we find your mind there? We know our mind's a non-physical thing. We have these thoughts that are private thoughts. We have first-person access to these thoughts. We have the ability to, to be conscious and aware of something that's within ourselves so that we understand this is my body. I own it, but we are not our bodies. And I want you guys to just take a second and think about that. We know that we're something deeper than that. We're something more than that. And this is one of those great examples of God's existence. Because we're not talking about physical things. We're talking about non-physical things. Like if you think about love, if you think about happiness, these are non-physical things that exist, but they are so real in our lives. But again, how could science explain something like that? You know, a lot of these things that we discover, they're things that we discover. We didn't invent it, right? We discover the gravity, for example. We didn't invent gravity, we discovered it. We discover a lot of things in this life because they're not things that we created, they're things that we found along the way. So think about that third piece there. We're trying to figure out these objective principles that exist that allow us to know, is there one true religion that exists out there? Can we choose it? Can we decide it? The fourth one we have is objective moral law. Now we understand this, right? We know that if you ask anybody, was 9-11 evil? I'm sure you would get a yes. Is torturing babies for fun okay? <laughs> I'm sure you would get no. Raping women? Etc., etc., etc. We could go down the line. This is objective moral law. We're not talking about subjective where it's just a feeling that I have. And even, by the way, even if you found someone that would tell you that torturing babies for fun is okay, raping women is acceptable, that does not mean that these moral laws don't exist. It just really means that some people decide to not follow the laws that are out there. But we know, you and I, right? 
rational people know that these moral laws exist. And they really do not have to be taught to us. We understand, we have a nature that understands that these laws exist. Even if they did have to be taught to us, why is there a need to follow it? Why do human beings have so much value? You know, my cousin and I were speaking one day and she was telling me how people are, are bullying her. And I said, remember, you're a valuable person. And the thing with the bullying, someone could try to take your value away from you, but if they never gave it to you, if they weren't the one to give it to you, they could never take it. And who gave us value in the first place? Now, of course, you guys listening will know that I would say it's Jesus Christ that gave us that value. But if you look at Genesis, he's telling us that we were made in his image. And we know what type of characteristics God has. But he's telling you that we're made in his image. We were made last. We were special. We are very high up in the hierarchy of life. But these objective moral laws, these values that have been given to us by somebody, the only thing that only way that makes these laws real is because somebody gave us the laws that's in a position to be able to do so. Just like if you were running a red light and the police officer pulled you over. They are in authority to pull you over, not your neighbor, because they've been given that authority by someone else. We've been given authority by somebody else. But when we think about objective moral laws, these laws are real because someone real gave it. In order for you to have moral laws, you need to have a moral law giver. And when we think about morality, it's mind independent. It exists not dependent on thinking or perceiving things. It would exist no matter what. So this is what we be considered mind independent because it's outside. It's, it's not dependent upon you and I thinking and sitting down and agreeing that raping women is not okay or agreeing that torturing babies for fun is not okay. We don't need to agree to that. That's already there. That already exists because it's mind independent. It existence is not dependent on thinking or on perceiving things. This would exist no matter what. Objective moral law is that moral law argument, just like we had the anthropic argument in the beginning. It's the moral law argument. It's the fact that we even have right or wrong. And when we think about even having right or wrong, C.S. Lewis said it perfectly. The only way that we know a line is crooked is because we have some idea of a straight line. The only way that we know something is wrong is because we do have some idea of what is right. God would be right. God is good. Jesus is the light. He's not the darkness. So we understand, even if we've never thought about this, we know that there is a right and a wrong. We know that there's a difference between Osama bin Laden and Mother Teresa. No one really has to explain that to us, but the only way that that is real is if there is some standard that exists that is higher than the rest of us. It's not me making the rule. It's not you making the rule. It's someone outside of us, okay, independent, that's making the rules, and we all follow it, and we all understand that those rules exist. So I thank you guys for listening to me. The next episode we are going to speak about
other factors that we can look at to see if there are objective principles to choosing a religion. Have a great night.